You're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're checking in with State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, a Westchester County Democrat. Welcome back to the show, Leader. It's always good to be with you, Dave. It's our pleasure. So when you reflect on the recently adopted state budget, what funding or policy stands out to you as being a product of your Senate majority specifically and its priorities, as opposed to something that maybe all the parties wanted or the assembly was on board with too? I mean, what is something that's only in there because of the Senate Democrats? I, you know, anything that I say, people would say, well, wait a minute, I care about that too, because as I've always said, we at least are all rowing in the same direction. Nobody is um, this or that. However, that being said, I say that my conference is the education conference because um, we have, as a conference, been committed to expanding educational opportunities. We have been a cradle-through-career conference. And for me, as I said, I ran when I first ran for Senate in 2004 with three things in mind. One, and you know, this is verifiable in my, my platform, one was, was codifying Roe v. Wade. The second was paying the money that was due uh, schools after the CFE case was decided and the, uh, the government of the state would not pay the million, billions, I'm sorry, owed to these school districts, mostly in poor neighborhoods, mostly black and brown kids, and the fact that the Brennan Center had classified New York State as the most dysfunctional legislature in the country. So those were the things that drove me. And so being able to this year have the full funding of foundation aid for schools, the first time ever, I feel extremely proud and pleased with that. Uh, our our um, legislature, when we started embarking on making sure that that education funding was in place, it was three years ago, and at that point we put our our mark on expanding universal pre-K because we understand, again, that the earlier you can get kids into an environment of learning, especially in these critical formative years of the brain, the more likely they are to succeed. And also, while we expanded UPK, we also, again, put in, and and this year, uh, I pushed for more money for childcare because, again, we know how important it is for child care to be available, accessible, affordable. Uh, I think most people are shocked by the amount that quality child care costs. Uh, However, it is certainly an important part of not only, uh, you know, the ability to put a kid in a safe environment, but also it's an economic development tool as well. It allows people to, to work. So I... I'm proud of what we did in SUNY, CUNY, and again, so there's a lot of things that we all fought for, but as I said, I believe um, our conference has been really focused on education and the quality and accessibility, affordability of education, because we know that all of these other conversations that we're having, whether they're uh, about criminal justice, whether it's about 
uh, ability to to uh, have uh, you know good wages and is all of it in many ways you know is tied to uh, education. Uh, education can make and will make the difference, and we need to invest in it as a society in order to make sure that not only people are able to be productive, but they are competitive in a global environment. Well, let me reintroduce you right here for listeners just joining us. We're speaking with Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, a Westchester County Democrat who's responding to the recently adopted state budget and looking forward at the remainder of the legislative session here in Albany. So based then on this budget experience, as well as the four previous budgets you've negotiated as Senate Majority Leader, is there something about the process that you want to change, which is within your power, like moving a a constitutional amendment? Or are you content with the way we make a budget uh, in New York? All right. So as I told you, those three um, things that drove me and the the other, uh, you know, one of the three was the fact that the Brennan Center had called us so dysfunctional. And uh, the reason why was that there was just no real, uh, well, there were a lot of reasons why. But um, I don't think by anyone's measurement, uh, the legislature is anywhere on that list of dysfunctionality. We have, have, um, I think, proven ourselves to be quite functional. Now, does the governor have a disproportionate uh, amount of power in the budget process? Absolutely. Uh, does you know are people uh, concerned about whether or not uh, that allows us to do um, what we think we should be doing in the budget? Uh, yes, but. Um, Again, I'm willing to look at people's suggestions. We have to understand that this is a constitutional power that the governor has, and so any big changes to that would require a constitutional amendment. And, um, you know, what those things are, uh, I think, is is up for debate. But it's the conversation that my uh, Senate majority often has, and uh, we will see if there's anything that will be advanced. But as you said, whatever it is advanced, we would have to pass it in two consecutive right. uh, legislative you know, sessions, and then it would go to the voters. Right, so, and I think um, it's important to note, though, that the governor would be excluded from that process. That's right. So that's right. what would stop you from addressing it via constitutional amendment? Is it the potential... Uh, scorched earth that the governor might uh, respond with? Well, you know, I I don't think so. I mean, was any I, again? I I don't worry so much about you know responses. I I think you may know uh, me and my conference well enough now to know that we try to do the right thing for the right reasons. And that's worked. So I don't worry so much about reactions, but I do worry about how do we get the best product for the people that we are serving and how could this product be better? And so we will you know, continue to have the conversation uh, if we think that uh, people would be better served with a different kind of process than 
you know, that's what we would put forward. But then it would be up to us to sell that to the general public. And what I have seen is that the general public, some days they like legislature, some days they don't. So you just can't be sure of uh, whether or not the public would buy that. And, and we would have to sell why why we think we should uh, actually have, besides the fact that we are indeed an equal branch of government, um, we need to be able to make sure that people understand that um, it is really our, our duty to act in that way. So um, it's a long uh, road, and like I said, we're just trying to get the best results for the people that we serve. You know, I wanted to just go back to the other thing that's important to people, too, uh, you know, just around this education situation is the school meals. Mm-hmm. I forgot to talk about the fact. I mean, we certainly advanced that early in our one house that that you know we would be feeding children in schools because we uh, again, not only is that uh, beneficial to some some of our parents who who might be struggling, but certainly allows for children to uh, be firing on all syllables, uh, <laughs> cylinders rather, maybe syllables too. Uh, as they approach their uh, school day. Well, you mentioned the funding for school meals, and you talked about uh, funding for child care earlier. And in both of those cases, as well as other areas advanced by the Senate Democrats, the ultimate funding that was included in the budget didn't represent what was advanced by uh, the Senate Democrats in their one-house budget. The total number comes up a little bit short. And in talking about the need to increase taxes, Governor Kathy Hochul poo-pooed the idea, saying, nope, we've got all, all the money for everything that we want to do. So do you agree with her when you think about this budget? Did we have all the money that we needed, or should there have been a more concentrated effort to raise taxes so that something like school meals could have been funded at the full $200 million, or uh, real significant long-term investments in the child care workforce could have been made as opposed to, say, uh, emergency grants? Well, uh, you know, our one-house bills are always aspirational. There's, there's no doubt that um, our best and highest for the, our constituents are portrayed as in the, our one-house bills. But we also know that uh, rarely do we get our aspirations exactly as we put them forward. That's just uh, how it is. And there are a lot of huge issues. And again, in our one-house, we did talk about taxing the very rich and using that in order to fill some of those gaps. The governor did not agree with that, and we were able to move the ball incrementally, but positively, whether it was raising the minimum wage or, um, again, the child care expansion and the meals for children. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that cost a lot of money, we moved it in many ways, a lot farther than she was willing to do it initially. So we consider it a win, and let's say what we say, we, we live to fight uh, another day. There are many, many things that we think would be better uh, for New York, and we just keep pushing. 
And after a quick break, we'll be back with more with State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, a Westchester County Democrat, who will look ahead at the remainder of the legislative session here in Albany. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. For listeners just joining us, we're continuing our discussion with State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins, a Westchester County Democrat. Looking ahead at the remainder of the legislative session, I'm curious if you've spoken with Assembly Speaker Carl Hasty about any areas that the Assembly and Senate would like to work on now that we're in that part of the calendar where the legislature is really responsible for setting the agenda as opposed to maybe the budget process. All of us continue to understand the importance of affordable housing and trying to move that along in that direction again. The governor put out, as you know, the compact, which was multifaceted. And it was something that the the speaker and I had spoken about last year. And we had tried to stand up a committee, which, again, we both passed in our house, is a committee of putting all the stakeholders together to um, try and make sure that when we got to this point, we had a more comprehensive plan that was vetoed with a score of other things by the governor last year, and uh, here we are. But I don't think that any of us has the luxury not to continue to have a robust, inclusive, and comprehensive conversation and policy on creating housing, especially affordable housing. We also want to work on more criminal justice reform. We're looking at clean slate and we're trying to uh, at least come to some resolve in that particular area. We will see, but I think in these last five weeks, we will you know, certainly continue to, to push forward our, our legislative agenda and do as much as we can before we end session. Well, you mentioned housing, and uh, on that front, uh, in the one-house budget advanced by the Senate, there was support articulated for the tenants of good cause eviction. Obviously, that measure was not included in the state budget. But moving forward, how do you anticipate that support uh, that was voiced earlier in the year manifesting itself? Is there a vote expected on some version of good cause? Do you expect to conference the issue again, even though you conference it during uh, the budget process? What do you see happening in that area? This is part of the ongoing conversation around housing and the need for affordability and also the need for tenant protection and small homeowner protection. I mean, it is a big conversation. So, yes, I do anticipate continued focus on that. I mean, I obviously could not at this point tell you what will happen, but I will tell you that it is something that is extremely important, not only uh, to the members of our conference, but I think it's extremely important across the board to make sure that we are trying to do what we can to create affordable housing and to retain affordability in housing. Based on 
your conversations with your members in conference, does it seem like if good cause is going to get a vote, either as a standalone measure or as part of an omnibus housing issue, that the measure is going to be changed from its current version? Maybe something yeah. that would have to be maybe a local opt-in measure or something else that would make it yeah. more scaled back? Yes, I've always been clear that the current good cause, I mean, even in our in our one house, uh, we talked about, I guess, the um, principles right. of good cause without, you know, naming that bill. That was very so, impressive leadership. We walk like a very that? a tightrope there. Yes. You know, did you? And you actually saw it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I didn't want to mislead people about our position vis-a-vis that particular bill, but all over the nation. The affordability and these rents have become very, very, very difficult for um, folks to be able to to meet, and people are are housing insecure all over the country. I mean, my brother who lives in Atlanta marvels at how much now people are asking for apartments that used to be maybe eight hundred dollars, six hundred dollars. Now it's sixteen hundred, and what happens generally is people look to government, quite honestly, when they feel that they're out of options and there's a circumstance that is really um, beyond anything they could do. They look to, to government to see what can you do to help so that we're not priced out of actually being able to live in neighborhoods we grew up in or places that we want to live in without having to have 10 roommates. It's an issue, which is why this has to be a comprehensive conversation because it really isn't an easy solution. But the fact is that if you're not in rent-stabilized, rent control or whatever, I mean, you know, basically landlords can just raise your rent to whatever they want. And some people who had lobbied came up with a um, different lease notification saying, oh, by the way, Miss so-and-so, you can renew your lease next week. It'll be another $1,000. Let me know if you want it. So I think people are feeling extremely insecure. And again, the housing stock is not there. So that's quite comprehensive. We have to build more housing. It has to be affordable. Again, the principle is a good cause. I mean, if you're not paying your rent, if you're a disruptive tenant, I mean, there's a, you know a lot of reasons why uh, this pretty much would at least allow for some cause of action if it's just you know an unreasonable rent increase just because. And so, I mean, there has to be a conversation that takes all these things into consideration. And I am hoping again that we all are able to move in a direction that we not only protect tenants, but also, who knows, create the, the next Mitchell Lama affordable initiative that was statewide. Mitchell and Lama were state legislators, and the program allowed for affordability and the construction of affordable units throughout the state. I mean, I think we have to find some way to be innovative and creative and expeditious and for that, we need partners, uh, you know, from every sector so that we can, again, row in the same direction and make sure that 
New York, in in addition to being an incredible place to live, is, is an affordable place to live. Well, finally, I've got you for about another 40 seconds, so I just am curious. Uh, the Senate Democrats recently conferenced the merits of legislation that would allow for physician-assisted suicide. Do you think in the wake of that conference that there's any appetite to bring that legislation known as medical aid and dying to a full floor vote in the Senate? I'm not sure that you are accurate. We actually didn't conference that. Oh, I was under the impression that you guys conferenced medical aid in dying uh, yesterday. No, 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 we didn't. Actually, the bill that was being conferenced was about do not resuscitate as it relates to medical fragility. There had been a change in language around DNR orders, and coincidentally, there had been a press conference about medical aid in dying, and so people started talking about that, but it was really the conference was on the bill that actually went to the floor. So we have not conferenced it. So I guess then my follow-up should be, do you plan on conferencing medical aid in dying? (laughs) Not at this moment, but again, we are always open to discuss a variety of of issues that members are interested in in having the conversation about. Well, we've been speaking with State Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins. Leader, thank you so much for making the time and for setting me straight. That's okay. You know, that's my job. (laughs) And, And things, conversations do happen spontaneously, and that was one of them. Support for Capital Press Room provided by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation. Communities across the Empire State have stories to tell. A roadside marker funded by the William G. Pomeroy Foundation can help your town or city educate the public, encourage pride of place, and promote local tourism. More about the Pomeroy Foundation's New York State Historic Marker Grant Program for 501c3 organizations, nonprofit academic institutions, and local state and federal government entities at wgpfoundation.org.